0: Welcome to the Humans of Nutrition podcast, brought to you by Nutrition Talent, a consultancy and recruitment company specialising in the provision of nutrition expertise. I'm Dr. Danielle McCarthy. And I'm Anna Wheeler. This podcast delves
1: into the world of nutrition to help unlock ideas and collaborative action so that everyone can thrive. Our guest today is sports dietitian Matt Lawson. Matt holds a master's in dietetics from the University of Nottingham. He has gone on to have a fascinating career within sports nutrition and was one of the first to bring nutrition into football. So we can't wait to hear more about that. He has worked with various professional teams, including female England players. Alongside his nutrition work, he also became a UEFA licensed football coach and won FA coach of the year, as well as the University of Nottingham, giving him an award for his work in 2022. He currently spends his time between roles as PFA dietitian for the Football Association and Development Football Head Coach at the University of Nottingham, alongside keeping his hand in with dietetics work for the NHS.
0: Wow, so Matt, it's so exciting to speak to you and I'm sort of feeling the pressure of like lots of children that are around me in my life that are big massive football fans and like now you're talking about nutrition and like worlds are colliding. Um, But jumping right in, what's it like to be a top sports nutritionist?
2: Oh, uh, great to be with you! And um, no, it's certainly very interesting. It's um, it's you know one of those things that um, uh, was quite new, uh, not that long ago, but it's now become normal. And um, yeah, it's exciting because every every day is different, and um, uh, you know it's a big big role. It's very important. And these days, um, athletes want to look after themselves. So um, there's it, been a real culture change, for example, in football. Um, so yeah, no, it's good.
0: Good, good. And um, what got you into sports nutrition then? Have you, was it sport or was it nutrition and then you went into sport?
2: So I've always been a sports fan, you know, loved football as a, a kid and, um, you know, failed in my bid to be a footballer, as most uh, young boys do. <laughs> um, but, you know, played it, watched it um, from, from being very young and, um, you know, been a mascot on the pitch with, you know, your heroes when you're about four and all that sort of business. Um, and so just loved it and um, it was that real interest in sport in general but particularly football um, that that really wanted to make me work in it and then I had this real interest in the body as well and how we fuel it and how we um, you know how all that works what you eat and drink how that affects you from again quite a young age and so uh, just sort of got me into it and the next minute you're applying to go to university and study dietetics so um, it all went from there.
0: Fab and then in terms of kind of training for that sports context and nutrition, did you have to do any other training outside of dietetics? I'm just thinking if the listeners might be interested in your path and to understand kind of what those options are for them and, and what you find helpful in, in moving into sports specifically from a nutrition yeah. perspective.
2: I mean, to be totally honest, you know, it, is, it is a difficult arena. You know, it's um, it's uh, certainly when I wanted to go into it, you know, there was, there was a, a, a view that... On the dietetics course you know you should leave and go and work kind of in a hospital and be a hospital dietitian you know do your band five and your rotations and that was kind of the view of what what you should do Um, and so um uh, it was kind of trying hard to break out of that um but managed to do it just felt really lucky um but yeah so i did a a master's in nutrition as well as my dietetics and all my final year was sports and i did my dissertation on sports and I went to Loughborough to do some um, additional uh, education because uh, Loughborough University is famous, obviously, for its sports and, and the, the lecturers that are there. So they've got English, England cricket there and everything else. So I managed to learn a lot there. I um, just really top up my knowledge, really, in terms of uh, becoming accredited um, on the sports side. Um, okay. but, but advice for listeners would be, you know, you can kind of learn. It's a bit like learning to drive, really. You can kind of learn everything, but um, sport especially, it's those practical skills Um, so it's when you actually walk into a football club or something like that um, it's how you make your relationships and you kind of know what you're doing you only do that by learning so I would always say try and get placements try and volunteer and become
1: comfortable in that arena.
0: Brilliant advice thank you.
1: Excellent Um, I'm slightly concerned that this conversation might make me want to go back to school because (laughs) I have always had a passion for sport as well Um, actually I can tell you a little secret that when I was about 10 years old my ambition was to be number 10 for the women's england team but sadly it never came off but you know (laughs) here i am still still a football fan um so i can't wait to hear more about this um but i think you just started to allude to this but i'd really like to understand a little about a little bit about the different sporting environments that you've worked in and how they really differ in the nutrition advice that you would offer and, and exactly what your role is in that scenario. Yeah, so I mean it varies
2: I think um, when I first started my first day um, at foot- in, the, in a football club um, I went up to lunch and all the players was eating burger and chips <laughs> and I thought it was like you know a joke cause obviously football's known for its banter and, and, and everything and I thought it was a joke but it wasn't it was just kind of what was still happening and yes. um, the chef came out he was all stressed and red faced and he was you know under loads of pressure this chef bless him Chris still in touch with him now and um Essentially, a couple of the players were basically sort of picking what they wanted, really. And so it was trying to break that up and sort of get everybody on board to say, well, look, we could, you know, we all like the odd burger and chips, but, you know, we are here to to win and be successful, and um, we could get benefits by changing this. And so in the end, it's about taking people with you, um, whatever it is that you're doing and whatever field you're working in. And so the key thing for me was communication skills, being able to talk, you know, doing presentations to the players as groups and individually and getting the coaches to buy into it as well. So you've got to talk to them. You know, a lot of the coaches are used to be players, but they were players back in the day where you'd have, you know, three pints of beer and a fag before every game. Oh, so it's it's trying to talk them into the new way and why football now more athletic. You need, uh, you need to be able to cover lots of distance these days. It's a different game. Um, you know, these are elite athletes and if we want to win, this is what we've got to do. And uh, that sort of argument really worked.
1: Yeah. And I think that's that kind of brings me on to a question that I had a bit further down our list, actually. But in terms of the biggest stakeholders with, within your role, because I, and I've done quite a lot of work in the past with chefs, um, and I think it's a bit the same. You've got to take them on the journey, explain what you're trying to achieve. Obviously, all work together towards your common goal, but that can be a bit of a challenge when they're sometimes their primary objective is to make it, tastes fantastic and so the the salt and the butter conversation comes up every single time Mm -hmm. um I'm just wondering what those biggest challenges are for you and and do sports people listen and how has that changed over time and I think maybe you're not that old Matt you're making it sound like (laughs) the burgers and chips you know how many years ago was this
2: um so yeah I'm probably going back You know, just under 15 years, really.
1: Yeah, so things Um, are going to have changed massively over that time. Things have changed massively, yeah.
2: But of course, yeah, at the start, I think everybody probably hated me, you know, and you think, oh, Mm -hmm. what's this guy about, you know? And um, because people don't like change, especially athletes, they're they're, Mm -hmm. they're creatures of habit. So they like their routines and their behaviours to stay the same. They don't like it when something changes. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's certainly changed now. If you walk into a club now, you know, it's the norm. You know, you've not got to make basic changes like that, or I certainly hope you wouldn't have to. No,
0: um,
2: but um, who knows? But um, uh, it's certainly changed. So um, uh, you, you've got to you've got to build the uh, what you're going to do um, a little bit uh, differently. But yeah, you know, you, you've got to get the chefs on board. You've got to get the management staff, the coaches on board, the physio, the fitness coach, the psychologist. You know, there's a whole array now of staff, and you know whether you're a dietitian or a nutritionist or whatever your background is, you've got to make sure you've got your voice being heard you know you can go in with confidence now because it's when i started some people were like "Well, are you just here to hand out the water bottles you know um, mm. and tell us to eat our fruit and veg because we sort of know all that um, whereas now i think people actually understand the role so you've probably not got to work maybe as hard as i did but then again in some ways you've got to work harder because it's more established mm. um, you know there's more competition and you've got to make your mark in different ways you know people will challenge you. Because all the coaches now are more educated, the physios are, so they know a lot of what you know, and it's about how skill is how we explain that and how yeah. we use our communication skills to get people to buy in.
1: Yeah, and that's so interesting. So, sorry, Danielle, because it's um, it's it's the same as what we do across lots of different sectors as well. I mean, I've certainly done a lot of that within the food industry, and it's interesting to hear that it's so similar, similar for you in this field as well.
0: Yeah, I guess I was going to ask you there around. the massive transition that has happened with nutrition and and, you know hugely from what you're describing within that sports arena and you know I guess in the works and the work that I'm doing at the minute is around how do you give relevant advice to people given their individual context and I guess you know the, the personalization is obviously a key word that keeps coming up within nutrition how do you find that within one sports team it you know is it at that level where people are i guess there's another question coming in here around what's the right source of information because if people begin to be interested they begin to read around it and want to know what's right specifically for them or or is it you know i guess it's a question in terms of where does personalization maybe come in and that whole managing as kind of the expert that interest that others have that you want them to have but Mm. equally you want it to be evidence-based and effective ultimately
2: yeah, so that, that's a really good question and everything's got to be individualized because even in you know like a football team you know the goalkeeper is very, uh, um, very different from the strikers and the center half very different from the full backs even in, in the same defense so people that are familiar with football will understand all the different positioning and um, uh, you know Anna mentioned she wanted to be a number 10 and things like that so <laughs> a very different role so you know there, there, there are different um characteristics that the coaching staff will expect players to perform based on their position and we would link that to the diet and nutrition because certain players need to be a little bit more physically powerful other players might need to be a little bit leaner and uh, more athletic and all that you know we're measuring heart rates we're measuring distance covered we're measuring um, calories consumed and, and how that should be broken down into the macronutrients so we're looking into all that um, we look for micronutrient deficiencies so everything's very individualized and, um, and and we work with each player on their position where they're at in their career um, injured players is another big one young players is a massive area because young players um, are still growing and we need to get that uh, correct if we're going to maximize their potential um, so it changes and then you know there's a lot of controversy at the moment on in the newspapers and on the news about boxing and boxers being banned for food supplements that they've taken mm-hmm. You know, touch wood, I've never had a footballer that I've worked with um, ever be banned or anything like that. And again, that's a key part of our role. We need to make sure that in a world where these athletes are having supplements pushed at them all the time, that we need, to, we need to make it clear that food is better and that we should be having real food wherever possible. And only occasionally when it's needed, if it's safe and it's all legal and appropriate, that we would introduce a supplement to supplement the diet. At a key time, so I am 99% real food, and um, and that's a big thing that we have to do because a lot of these companies and people are pushing uh, you know a quick fix to these players and athletes, and um, it's a big danger.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know that takes me back actually to, to stuff we did within the the sports team when I was at Glaxo, and it's absolutely that it's making sure you know you're working within the regulations as well. Um, real, huge responsibility I guess there um, in education and then in, in what those food-based options are so is you know the you know that whole what's the silver bullet we all want fast solutions sometimes that you know they they don't really exist but, but that's a, a complex conversation I'm sure you've had Um, I think it's really interesting in terms of combining your nutrition expertise with actually being a coach as well and maybe that's you know really helps you in terms of giving that contextualised advice and building those relationships. Um, how does that combination work for you on the day-to-day? Yes,
2: yeah, so, I mean, I sort of fell into that, really. So being at a football club for so long and working in the environment, um, yeah, you know, I suddenly had the opportunity to um, coach and uh, you know, started out in the academy. And uh, it was really good that they put me through my coaching badges and so I'm now a UEFA licensed coach, which is, you know, some of the best qualifications you can get. Um, and uh, it allows me to feel really comfortable in that environment. So I would almost describe myself now, you know, in, in any football arena as, kind of, as a specialist football dietitian, because I've got the dietetics and I'm a football coach. So I can kind of understand the sessions that the guys are doing. I understand the game. Um, uh, I can link in very well with the coaches because I understand what they're doing. Um, and yeah, if I'm doing coaching, I'll always bring in the diet, the nutrition, the fitness, this kind of scientific side of it. So, um, you know, fundamentally I'm a dietitian, that's my number one, um, but it's been nice because I love football to do these badges as well. And it's really made me grow as a person, improve my confidence, as I say, improve my communication with the players. Um, and so I really enjoy coaching and um, I do some volunteer coaching in my local community um, grassroots as well. And I really enjoy that um, and it uh, gets me out and about. So... It's just good fun to do these things, and it's allowed me to give something back,
0: yeah, oh, that sounds fabulous, and you mentioned grassroots, and I'm just i well, it just gets me so excited in terms of you know when you see children sweating and running around and having a laugh, like I just couldn't love that more, and i you know some of the research I did in in a role when I was at Queen's University in Belfast was around positive food experiences for children within their local communities as well as within their schools and and actually what comes out is you know the the complete lack of opportunities for for many children to have that for lots of different reasons Um, and and I guess then the kind of lack of opportunity to learn different cooking skills and, and develop those good relationships with food so I wondered in terms of any pathway it's also really hard because children will then aspire to be an elite athlete you know is there something there in terms of how can you motivate and inspire children because they're so into the sport but you know equally there are things that they will see their elite athletes accessing that isn't necessarily right for them in, in their
2: yeah
0: you know situation so how, how have you ever come across that kind of nutrition through those different pathways and through those grassroots experiences probably like yeah, questions in one there <laughs>
2: Yeah, and I think um, it, it boils down to wanting everybody to enjoy their food and whether you're a professional or, or just a an, you know a normal person, like I say, or whatever age you are, we want kids, adults to enjoy food and then it can become a positive experience rather than the word diet and nutrition kind of being negative words with those connotations. We want it to be positive. You know, uh, if we're going to have three meals a day, we want to be enjoying those three times a day, don't we? And, and making it positive to eat healthy, you know, so how they can taste good and, and things like that. So bringing that in. But also, um, speaking about football again, I mean, the FA are done a lot of work at the moment to make sure that more boys and girls, thanks to the fantastic England women's team that have inspired Yay. everybody, um, <laughs> uh, can enjoy their football and, and so that is in- increasing. There's more girls now playing football than ever before and it's the fastest growing sport in the country, uh, which is great. So I think the FA are trying and, you know, they're doing more um, diet nutrition type webinars, they're trying to promote it a bit more. Because even grassroots players and parents now, you know, they want to know about uh, you know, what's the right level of hydration. They want to know, you know perhaps what should we eat before a game. So even at just a fun community level, most yeah. people kind of want to, these days, if you're engaged in sport, it leads on that you kind of want to look after yourself and look after your body. And that's where we can come in. So it's exciting, I think. And um, I'll tell you a quick story. I once took Ellen White, who won the European Championships two years ago with England, to... Uh, Uh, our boys academy at uh, notts county football club at the time and she was a bigger draw than the men's first team players because she was such a superstar for england place was packed out and everybody loved it and these kids were listening to her about what she eats what she drinks how she sleeps how she trains and she inspired so many people
0: Mm. so fabulous um, uh, what we know what a great woman well that's it and it's kind of as you're saying it makes it positive and that was definitely you know what you know the studies we were doing were showing if it's so important to be a positive experience and so often we see healthy as some form of deprivation and guilt and all of those emotions so yeah that that's really interesting in terms of inspiring and, and bringing that positivity to it like I couldn't agree more.
1: Yeah and it, it's great that you brought up women's football because we did want to talk to you more about that Um, I definitely I, I was the unusual one at school shall we say when I wanted to play um I'll tell you a little story um I actually wrote a letter to Match Magazine do you remember Match Magazine when I was about 10 complaining how I wasn't allowed to play football at school with the boys Um, and I won star letter so I was really excited about that got a free football out of it Um, so you know a little win for equality but it's been brilliant and and one of my closest friends her daughter is is really into football and plays all the time and it, it's obviously fantastic to see that um so obviously there's been massive strides but still work to do but be interested to understand whether there are any specific differences between working with male and female both teams and clubs um and do women get the same level of nutrition input as the male players and do they would respond differently to the, the advice because i imagine they might um
2: you know what when um when uh, we had we had seven England internationals with us um, at Norths County when we you know got to the FA Cup final at Wembley and we were kind of top of the Women's Super League playing Man City Arsenal and everything else a few years ago, and uh, we were getting the biggest crowds as well in the Women's Super League at mm. the time. Right when it first started, it was such a great opportunity to work with these people. To be honest, yeah. And the players, like I said, mentioned Ellen White and Carly Telford, Sophie Bradley, Alex Greenwood, who's recently just. Um, uh, obviously played at, in, at the world cup uh, yeah. final with england we had alex as well what it just made me was just you know considering their level you know superstar internationals players at the top of the game was there the amount of time they wanted to put in their dedication um, like i said they were bigger stars than our men's team at the time but they mm-hmm. were so down to earth and um i just found that be really they wanted to listen they wanted to work with you um and, uh, and I, I really loved loved that experience and um you know, through it I was able to do some education at St George's Park and you know I was learning from them really as well, just, just real trailblazers to be honest. Mm. And it's great to see what they've got on to do because now they are massive superstars quite rightly. Yeah. Um, and then they deserve that success. So you no, know, the only the only real difference is it's the same game, it lasts the same amount of time. You know, it's still twenty two people on a field with a ball. Um, you know, there's slight differences in, in, in dietary requirements, but in general um, you know they're performing now to the same intensity um, as professional male players, and, um, and and so much of it is the same really. And again, it's yeah. about building your relationships, um, and 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 you're there to help ultimately.
0: Yeah, well and do you know what? I think it's something as well we need to think about within our own profession. It is that whole gender balance. And you know, we we are really conscious that of all of our guests, you know, we are very heavy on the female and light on the male. So it is great that you're you're on, but that, that's something, um and, and it comes back to whenever I was a lecturer, you were um, involved in some courses, there is always a heavy skew towards female in, in the nutrition world. Um so what are your thoughts on that? You know, um, on how to open up space for men to come into our profession, and you know what your experience has been like, and in, in ultimately a very imbalanced, um, from a gender point of view, in environment professionally.
2: Yeah, it's been uh, difficult at university. I think, I think, um, you know, for every. Hundred or whatever was on the course, probably two of us were male, so it it was you know very different and uh, uh, an interesting. I kind of knew it was going to be like that, I suppose, but perhaps not to that extent. Um, and then yeah, when you go and work in different environments, it's um, it is you know totally female dominant dominated arena, like you say. But um, I probably found that um, I've probably kind of. Um, learnt more from that so it kind of it's made me a little bit more unique, I suppose, so I would say to any males you know don't be worried about it because actually um you know it can kind of um I, th- I think it's it's probably helped to be totally honest and um uh, yeah it'd be nice to see it balance out a bit more, but um I guess I don't really know why it is because i I've ended up going down the route that um I've always wanted to go down and I'm so interested in sport particularly and um I wouldn't want to do anything else so I really love it and I would you know I don't think it matters in the end and um it would be nice to see that happen so
0: yeah. yeah I think that's it isn't it it's trying to open up and make it accessible and available to everyone no matter you know how you might define yourself it's trying to you know help everybody feel that there is a route for them in in, in the profession so um yeah, those are great insights. Also, you know the realities of what you might have to experience. You know, it would be a different um experience if you were on on different subjects, I guess, socially and things as well. So um, but yeah, it's absolutely possible for all those boys and girls who are out playing nice sport if they don't get into their teams like you two. I come from a very <laughs> different background where not necessarily sport was up there, but you know, I you know when you see just how much kids thankfully can get engaged in sport and activity that whole driving a career is is there's such potential there so so fabulous to hear about
1: and one very other exciting area that I want to make sure that we ask you about before we run out of time, which we always do on this podcast, um, <laughs> I'm very excited that you were the dietitian for Team GB, working for the British Olympic Association. So I'm interested to understand, did you get to travel to the Games as part of that role? And really, what's that competition environment like at that you know, super elite level and those you know, real challenges around food provision in a different place you know, while you're traveling?
2: Yeah, so um, I was involved uh, with uh, London Twenty Twelve um, initially, and um, the football club I was working for gave me a sabbatical to go and do that, which was very kind of, yeah. you know, kind of the chairman and and uh, and his wife at the time, very very supportive of my career. Really, I mean, they let me go to America and all sorts. They were fantastic. I just felt so lucky. Really, I think that's what I'd say to people. You know, you kind of you stumble into things as you go in your career and and it's about taking opportunities really and I certainly that's been me I've been stumbling along for quite a few years now <laughs> stumbling quite effectively <laughs> into the right places really but mm. um, so yeah it was one of those where um managed to get the opportunity to work with um some athletes from uh the East Midlands uh, where I'm based and um help prepare them for 2012 um and I got to go go there which was a wonderful experience and again just People that dedicate their lives to it, you know, and um, amazing, really. And you think we can just help them, even if it's with one, two, five percent, whatever it is, we can give them. If we can improve their performance by that little bit, it can make a world of difference. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, in something where like a race is won, won by naught point one of a second or whatever it might be, so. Um, and then I continued to work with some of those uh, guys for uh, Rio in twenty sixteen as well. Um, although I didn't go there, but you know, so that that was a, an amazing um, opportunity. And still in touch with some of them now. And it's nice when these people get in touch sometimes and say, "Oh, can I, could you just help me with this, or can you still advise me on that?" And that's always yeah. satisfying when someone that you've worked with before gets back in touch. Um, but yeah, probably the, you know one of the best moments. Of my life really to kind of be asked to do that and again just right place at the right time and then and then just saying look I don't know everything but I'm here to help and uh, you know as part of your team and we'll work with the other staff and we'll try and work together to help and um, uh, and that's all it's about really in the end isn't it if you can look at yeah. what someone's doing and make one or two tweaks and they then feel better and mentally and physically both equally important these days we, we all mm-hmm. know that with everything so can you get them feeling good in their mind and their body? Yeah. Um, and nutrition, we know, plays a huge role in
1: that. Definitely. And and tennis is my sport now since I didn't make it to number 10 and didn't really get the opportunities I would have liked in football. So I've moved to tennis. And, and the amount of, you know, talk for in the commentary, watching the US Open at the moment, yeah, you know, around that mental toughness. And, you know, I was watching a match last night where they were suffering in the ridiculous heat in New York. So, you know... I'm always fascinated to see what they're drinking, how much they're drinking, what they're eating, what they're consuming throughout the, you know, minute and a half that they get between meals. Because it's, it, it's so vital, isn't it? Like you say, to be able to get that extra 1% that might be that focus that is going to get them over the line at the end of the match.
2: Really important. And um, yeah, I still just play football for fun myself. And mm-hmm. I know if I'm in a rush and I've got there late when my mates yeah. and that, uh, and, you know, and I feel like, I've not drank enough, I've not warmed up properly, then I know, mm. I'm, you, know you struggle. And you think yeah. when people are being paid to do it and, that's, and it's worth you know a hell of a lot to a lot of mm. people, that's why the, 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 uh, the ladies and gents have then got to get it right and that's why it's about high performance and um, organisation and uh, making sure that, that, that everything's right. And um, obviously we work with people that have got all sorts of different things as well, just like normal people. You know, athletes have diabetes, IBS... Um, asthma, they have injuries. You know, there's all sorts of things where a dietitian is involved. Um, celiac disease and all the, all other um, types of um, intolerances and allergies. And there's all loads of things that athletes suffer that isn't necessarily talked about. Um, mental health problems and um, eating disorders is a big one in football. Mm. Loads of eating disorders, not just in the female game as you would expect, but you know, in the men's game, massive pressure on people to have the right body fat levels and things like that. So there's loads of work on the psychological side as well that we, we can do um, in our area and that we can link into.
0: And can I ask, Matt, in, in terms of how people implement the advice that you give, it, in cultures where we don't necessarily have the time or the cooking skills or, or necessarily the interest or confidence to make our own foods, what, what's your experience of... How do the families around the athletes um, and even, you know, across the pathway sports, how do they actually adapt? Like, obviously, there's provisions within the clubs, but they also have their home lives, right? So, you know, are they, are they challenged in the same way as many of us are challenged out there in the in the non-sports world with um, how we prepare our food and you yeah, know, absolutely. your experience of that?
2: You know, they're just normal people at the end of the day, so just like we emotionally eat at times and and, uh, we respond, we have triggers that can be linked to food and we think uh, stressful situations, we might want to cope with it with eating and drinking. You know, these people, you know, they have exactly those same cravings and that, that, that same reality. Day to day, their diets are fed, you know, by the chefs in the club, but they still go home in an evening and like in the off season. Um, in the old days it was normal for players to come back in for pre-season kind of a stone overweight, and then you spend the first four weeks of pre-season training running to get it off um, you know those days are gone now they've, they've got to be athletes all year round and they've got to come back kind of um, in tip-top condition and um, so uh, the, you know there's a big, big a lot of advice we give over the summer when they're they're going home to enjoy themselves and be around their family but they're also needing to keep kind of in uh, in, in physical um, optimum if possible. So, yeah, it's challenging and it's about education again and, and getting them to enjoy it and motivating them to plan their meals and show that it's not that hard to make a quick, healthy meal and all the stuff that we would do with the general public. You know, you're still doing that, but just to uh, a much greater level because it's their career, their career is their body. So, um, mm. while we want everybody to look after their bodies, the kind of an athlete, then athlete is going to want to get on, uh, it's kind of got, a, got to these days. Um, yeah okay. so uh, yeah when, when I first started I was working for Sven Johan Eriksson had been the England manager and uh, he came to be our director of football and just this wonderful man that had so much experience but you looked even at his later years then um, how he looked after himself you know led from the front um, you know I don't, I don't know how old Sven was at the time but he was still in a track suit on the training ground and um and I thought, you know, this, this guy's can, you know, won everything there is to win. He's managed England. He's managed Manchester City in the Premier League. And we had him here in Nottingham. And yet his love for it, his passion for it, is, is you know, the first one in in the morning and things like that. You know, it really inspired me, actually. And, uh, that was my first year at the club and went on to win promotion. And um, it kind of just went from there. So you're inspired by the people you meet as well, aren't you?
0: Yeah absolutely well actually that's probably um timely for sort of our last question because we always like to um end our podcast on a positive note and so i'm going to ask you what really excites you about the world of sports nutrition and what changes would you like to see implemented in the next five years we often talk about having a nutrition talent magic wand and kind of what you would wish for you know can you share some some thoughts on that as to, to what's coming up and and how you might like to to see it unfold
2: yeah I mean, there's a couple of things you know I think um, continue to establish our role in terms of our field and in its importance because the sports science and the statistical side is really growing so there's a everything's analyzed now so um, for example again in my sport football you used to sign a player by the manager going to watch a game and if they thought they the the had what it takes they'd, they'd bring them in you know one manager might have a look and that's it based on eyesight whereas now you know people are analysts are pouring over the stats how many headers they've won how many tackles they've won how far do they run in a game they've got all that data so all that data's out there and one of our challenges is how do we make sure that we're, we're still linking in to periodise the training to look at the different types of um, dietary behaviours we need at different types of the season and make sure we're at the forefront of you know uh, performance and recovery with our advice so that's a big challenge we need to rise to and i find that really exciting mm. how can we then link that to the public and inspire the public to you know lots of people now interested in going walking and running and it's, it's good that there's, there's a I, I feel i notice a, a, a move to try and be healthy in the country which is nice so can we inspire people with that this is what an athlete eats maybe you could take some messages from them um, and then, yeah, just to, to continue to see the women's game grow as well. I think it's amazing. And, um, and for uh, both England teams to win the next yeah. championship. Oh,
1: now that is a nice ambition, <laughs> isn't it? We can all get excited about that. Danielle, I don't know if the Northern Ireland team is going to have quite the same chances, but, you know, wow. you can dream.
0: We can keep dreaming. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thank you so very much, Matt. It's been absolutely brilliant to speak to you. Um, you may well make me want to go back and study sports nutrition because it's always been a passion and an interest so thank you it's been brilliant and um yeah thank you i'm gonna hit the outro jingle
0: and we'll yeah speak to you soon thanks for listening to another episode of the humans of nutrition podcast proudly brought to you by nutrition talent nutrition
1: talent is a consultancy and recruitment company specializing in the provision of nutrition expertise
0: for more information about us and how we could work together check out nutritiontalent.com.